Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is time for searching the scripture today. We'll get to that in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is March, which means it is time for searching scripture. And our regular guest for this year, the Reverend Anthony Oliphant, Pastor Tony Oliphant at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Pastor Oliphant, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thanks. Good to be back. So this month, we are continuing our study in Philippians, finishing up chapter one, moving into chapter two. Anything you'd like us to know as we prepare to dig into God's word? You know, this is the part of Paul's letter where he's going to be getting into the encouragement for the Philippians. Most of Paul's letters he's writing because he's aware of a a certain problem in a congregation, either in theology or in their life together as the church. Today, though, as we're looking at Philippians, we're going to find Paul's not dealing with a, a a congregation that has problems. Instead, he's dealing, he's writing a a thank you letter, letter about gratefulness. And so what he's going to be doing here is encouraging them to stay on the, stay on the path. And so we're going to see a lot of encouragement from Paul here, especially as it pertains toward the life of the church serving each other. All right. Are we ready for question one? Which I think our text is short enough today, we can read the text too. All right. So question number one, read Philippians 1 verse 27. Our English translations say, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word Paul uses for manner of life has to do with the duties and responsibilities of citizenship. The Philippians had the uncommon privilege of being Roman citizens because they lived in a Roman colony. Roman citizens had certain benefits and freedoms. They also had certain expectations placed upon them. How could this concept help the Philippian Christians understand a worthy manner of life as citizens of Christ's kingdom? All right, so should we do what the, what the, the question says first? Should we take a look at the, read the text since it's so short today? Yeah, let's take a look at that. Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So yeah, there, this, this phrase manner of life is kind of curious. It does have to do with this idea of behaving as a, someone who's worthy of the citizenship that's been bestowed on them. You know, we kind of take it for granted in our own, our own context that if you're born in the United States, then you're a citizen of the United States. This was not the case in the Roman empire. Not everyone that was born under Rome's dominion was automatically a Roman citizen. Paul was, he, this was, he, he was a citizen and he understood, and he knew that other citizens would understand the certain expectations that were placed on them and the privileges that were placed on them. So we understand that, you know, Paul, when he makes it known to the Roman soldiers that he's a Roman citizen, they suddenly stop treating him as badly as they had before. And he said he gets a fair trial and he uses the advantages of his privileges as, as a Roman citizen to go all the way up to Caesar to hear his case, to, to hear his case when he appeals. The citizens of Philippi, they were, they were unique. They were a, a Roman colony. And so they had this gift of Roman citizenship given to them. And they understood that there were certain things that were expected of Roman citizens. 
certain behaviors, social mores. They had certain privileges that came along with that. And Paul's kind of, he, he's using this as leverage to help them understand their citizenship in, in Christ's kingdom. That yes, Christians, we do have privileges of being children of God, being co-heirs, living under Christ's gracious rule in his kingdom. We also have certain responsibilities. Now those responsibilities are toward each other. So we understand we have certain behaviors that we're supposed to have toward other Christians. These are dictated, of course, by the 10 commandments, the second table of the law in particular. And so we, we don't want to take our citizenship for granted, but to recognize it for the gift that it is and understand that this means that there's going to be a certain, a certain way that we live our life that's going to look and sound and it's going to be completely different than from those who are outside of Christ's gracious rule. And so Paul's using this just as kind of a contact point for the Philippians to understand that now their life in Christ is going to look very different than their life as pagans before. Shall we move on to question two? Yeah. All right. Paul has been offering encouragement to the believers in Philippi from the start of his letter. Reread the second half of verse 27. Who is doing the encouraging and who is receiving encouragement through the Philippians' manner of life? What does this teach us about our conduct of everyday life in the church? All right. So this one might take us a little bit by surprise, but Paul writes, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You know, when we think about Paul writing a letter to congregations throughout the ancient world, we picture him offering encouragement to them. And of course he is doing that. He is encouraging them to stay on the course and to to thank them for living the way that they have been living. But notice here that Paul himself is drawing encouragement from the Philippians so that he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm one spirit with one mind striving side by side. So there he sees them next to him, um, striving for the same gospel. So that he also has encouragement. Remember, Paul's writing this when he is in prison under house arrest in Rome. And so, of course, he's going to be looking for encouragement too, that he's not out there on his own, that his work in sharing the gospel with the entire known world, that it hasn't been in vain, that there are people that are coming up side by side with him and they're contending for the same gospel. And so we can see this um, kind of reflected in the everyday life of the church, I can tell you that it's a very, very encouraging thing when laity uh, encourage their pastor to just demonstrate that they understand the gospel that's been preached and taught to them. They're living lives that are worthy of the name Christian. And it, you know, it kind of makes us feel like we're not out there on our own. We're not just speaking out into the void, but that's it, the, the gospel's really taking root. And that is some deep encouragement for those who are teaching too. And so Paul here, interestingly enough, is, is seeking encouragement from the Philippian, not just in word, but also in deed. Question three, read Philippians chapter one, verse 28. What strong word of encouragement does Paul give here? This is not the only place where believers are strengthened in this particular way. Read the following passages and write down the promises we have when facing opponents of the gospel. All right, so Philippians one twenty-eight. Right, Paul writes, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So Paul here is countering this natural human tendency we have that when we meet resistance, it means we're doing something wrong. You know, a lot of times if we run into these roadblocks, we think, okay, well, God must be telling me to not be doing this anymore, or that maybe this, this road is too, too difficult because God's trying to tell us that we need to stop. Here, Paul is saying, no, if you, if you run into this resistance in your opponents, don't be frightened by that, but take it as a sign that they know that they're in the wrong. And the only way that they can counter you is with this force, because they know that you have the words of truth. And so it's a sign of your salvation, but it's a sign of the, the world's of seared conscience that it's resisting in this very difficult, troublesome way for the Philippians. And, you know, it, Paul's just kind of following suit with what others have said, including our Lord. In Matthew 10, 19 through 20, we have these, these words where Jesus is writing, and whether when they deliver you, deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Jesus's words here are saying, you know, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be handed over to the authorities, but don't be afraid because that's going to be the opportunity for the spirit to speak through you, speak those words that have been internalized, those words of the gospel that we've heard repeated in all in the divine service and the, our teachings that we've received. And so Paul's just following suit. He's just agreeing with what Jesus has said. And it's not the only place that he does that. We also have our second Corinthians passage recorded down here. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to, and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death and the other, a fragrance from life to life. And so here Paul is saying, you know, we've received this to God. We're a fragrance of that, our manner of life, our understanding of the gospel that this is something that the world is going to perceive as death. And you know, because the gospel is centered around the cross of Christ, because it is the cross of Christ, of course, it's going to seem like death to the world, but to our Lord, it's life. And then uh, Paul's not the only apostle to pick up on this. We also have our first Peter three passage recorded here where he writes, but in your hearts regard Christ, the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And so here Peter is using this as a way to say that, you know, the world is going to slander us. The world is going to counter us. But if people just take a look at our actions, they'll see that we are living the gospel and that their accusations will just fall flat and be recognized as false. We are taking a look at searching scripture in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We'll continue that conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's 
uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50 plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Goldseth. We are searching the scripture in the March issue of the Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. And we are taking a look at Philippians chapter one, moving into chapter two today. We're making some progress here. Are we ready for question number four? I believe so. All right. Read Philippians chapter one, verse 29. Paul speaks of two things granted to the believers in Philippi. What are they? Do either of these gifts surprise you? Paul is not the only scriptural author to speak of suffering in this way. Uh, also read James 1, 2 to 4, why are trials a gift and joy? All right, so we're going to have to break this up a little bit. This is going to take a little time. There's a lot packed in. <laughs> right. You snuck in two questions <laughs> in one number here, Pastor. I see what you did there. I don't know. Was... <laughs> do, what I, do what I have to do to cover all the content. <laughs> all right, Philippians one twenty nine. So Paul writes, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so Paul's writing these about two different things that have been given to the believers in Philippi. First, it's been granted to them that for the sake of Christ, they should believe in him, but also it's been granted to them that they should suffer for his. This is not a way that we normally think about gifts being given. So there is a surprising gift here. We understand that faith is a gift, of course, but then suffering for the sake of Christ, Paul's writing, this is a gift. It's kind of shocking for us in our current obsession with comfort that we have in our own culture. But here Paul's saying, you know, that it definitely is a, a gift to be able to suffer for the sake of Christ. And this is because Christians understand suffering in a very different way than the world. The world it will do anything to get out of it. Christians recognize that our suffering is not in vain, that our suffering actually does something that draws us into the sufferings of Christ, that the crosses we bear are not only a reflection of the cross that Christ bears, but it actually pulls us deeper into the cross of Christ so that we learn that there's nothing in the world that can ultimately save us except for the cross of Jesus. And so then learning to rejoice in our sufferings because they're teaching us to set down all of those things that we had hope in besides Jesus, that's actually a good thing because those two gifts then we see are actually interconnected. The gift of believing in Christ and the gift of suffering for his sake, that the one gift, suffering, actually strengthens our faith. It helps us to learn that Everything else that we've been putting our faith in is a false idol. Do you want to over James 1 verses 2 to 4 also? Yes, let's take a look at that. So James, at the very, very beginning of his letter, he's writing to the, the, the Jews in the diaspora, the dispersion. At the very beginning of his letter, he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
And so James here is going to be further elaborating on that same idea that Paul has been talking about. He's going to approach it from a slightly different angle. He's going to say that count it as a joy when we meet trial because that's what's going to actually test our faith. That's the touchstone against which we can make sure if our faith is genuine. And you know, Martin Luther speaks this way too when he talks about the three things that make a theologian. It's prayer, despairing of ourselves, asking God to guide us into his word and wisdom. And then meditation on his word is the second part. And he says, but the third part is what really makes a theologian. And that is the the tentatio, the trial, the spiritual affliction that we have that actually forces us to put everything we've prayed about and everything we've been studying from the scripture, actually put it into our lives, put it into action. And James here is, doing the, is saying the exact same thing. He's saying that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And then steadfastness has its full effect that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, so that we we don't have these gaps in our lives. We're telling Jesus we don't need his help, but that we have Christ throughout our entire lives, every corner of it. That is such a countercultural idea. It is. Letting it sink into my brain right now, but there is so much emphasis on being happy in our culture right now. And this is the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Right. And I mean, isn't it interesting, the obsession we have with being happy and here James and Paul both are, are counting it as joy, which, you know, of course runs much deeper than happiness than any kind of momentary endorphin head, but this deeper joy that comes through, you know, standing, standing through the storm. Yeah. Oh, what a message for today. Shall we move on to question five? Yes. All right. This is also a two-parter, so I'll read the whole thing and then we can take it in, in pieces as we go. Paul acknowledges that the Philippians are engaged in the same struggles and sufferings that he is. Read Philippians 1 verse 30 to chapter 2 verse 2. What encouragement does Paul give them in this struggle they share? How does this encouragement flow in both a vertical direction from Christ to us and in a horizontal direction from believers to fellow believers. And then what does Paul mean when he speaks of the Philippians being of the same mind and having the same love in their common conflict? Read Ephesians 4 verse 1 through 6, 1 Timothy 6 verses 3 through 5, and Titus 1 verse 9 for examples. All right. So I'll just kind of read through those three verses that we're going to be discussing in little in little chunks. So here he writes, uh, they should not only believe in Christ and suffer for his sake. And now verse 30, Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so Paul's recognizing that he's not alone in his struggle, his conflict, he's received this encouragement from the Philippians, both in their manner of life, in the gifts that they've sent to Paul to help out while he's in this time of imprisonment. And so he's recognizing that by doing this, they are, they're engaged in the same conflict that he is. The conflict, not just against flesh and blood, but against the, the powers that want to resist the gospel. And so he, he, of course, is rejoicing that they're engaged in it, that they can be these kind of fellow soldiers in the gospel. And so this encouragement that he's talking about, if there's any encouragement in Christ as they are standing side by side in this battle, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
to complete his joy by being of the same mind. And so the encouragement that Paul's giving them in this fight, of course, is that they have Christ on their side. Christ has already conquered everything. Every single thing that we face, Christ is defeated. And so there's encouragement in Christ there. And of course, you know, he phrases this in a kind of a rhetorical thing, you know, if there's any encouragement in Christ, knowing full well that they're very aware of the encouragement they have in Christ, they're hearing it every time they're gathered together, they're hearing it through this letter. And so he says, you know, if there is any encouragement in Christ or any participation in the spirit, this word participation is just a very rich word, especially in Paul's writing. It refers to the life together that we have as, as the church, it's drawn out of the sacrament that is that it's not just, a, you know, we all get along and we all happen to go to the same church because we like each other and we have the same, same opinions about theology or doctrine or whatever, but their life together in the church, of course, they do share that understanding of the truth, but then that's also going to have hands and feet together as they're going through life together and helping each other out. And so this encouragement comes from Christ, of course, and his victory over sin, death, the devil, the fallen world. And then the encouragement that we have for fellow believers as we walk together, as we have affection and sympathy for each other and the same love that we're in full accord and having one mind, that we're bound together with these things. And these things, you know, give encouragement to Paul as he's engaged in this struggle. And of course, Paul's going to be giving encouragement to the Philippians as, as they are in that exact same kind of cosmic battle against, against evil, against sin and death. Should we take a look at uh, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6? Yeah. So Paul's going to mention this a same mind and having the same love. And he's going to talk about this in a couple of other places. So in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Those words should sound very familiar to us from here at Philippians. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So always seeking out unity with fellow believers, speaking to each other with humility and gentleness, with patience. And then also, you know, bearing with each other in love, not swooping down and attacking every single weakness we can find in someone or despising something we find in fellow believers, but bearing with one another in love. Um, Ace writes, there is one body and one spirit just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so here we hear, we see Paul's actually drawing this, this same mind and having the same love in our common baptism, our common Lord, common faith, that these three things are interlocked for Paul, that our, our baptism brings us into the kingdom of Christ, which means that now we have the same Lord ruling over us. We have the same expectations of behavior toward each other that we see the way, the way our Lord treats the, people, the, the citizens who are in his kingdom. And that this is all going to be laid out in this idea that there's one body and one spirit, that we don't have multiple spirits. We can't say that we can do without another part of the body of Christ, but that we are, that we have this life in Christ together all bound together as one, each with our own strengths and each with our own needs from each other. And let's see, First Timothy chapter six. Yes. Yeah. First Timothy chapter six. 
Paul's going to be writing about, okay, what to do if you, if you run into someone who's not of the same mind or the same faith, he writes, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And so here Paul's saying, you know, that we, that if, if we run into anybody who is against the words of Christ, we should pay really a close attention to the way in which they are, the way in which they're fighting with their words. There's an unhealthy craving for controversy, this bizarre desire to see divisions and splits within the body of Christ, constant friction between people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, these evil suspicions. And so Paul, when he talks about being of the same mind for the Philippians and having their same saying that, you know, we there are ways that we can talk about these things that, that don't necessarily cause this, these deep divisions. And so Paul here is urging the Philippians to, uh, to, to bear with each other in, in their, in their, in love and to find ways to speak without causing this dissension, to debate and find out whether the words that are being used are actually contrary to the teachings of Christ or not, but to not have these contra- these cravings for controversies and quarrels about words. Um, and so remember, this is, these are the, the encouragement that he's giving to Timothy, young pastor, and this is going to be similar to the advice that he gives to Titus in 1 verse 9, which is our last passage here, writing that for an overseer or God's steward, a pastor, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. And so here again, that same mind is going to be found in sound doctrine. It's going to be found in keeping with the teachings that we've received from Christ through the apostles, and then being able to speak it clearly in a way that's understood by others and actually benefits the faith of others. Very good. Final thoughts, anything else you want to, to share as we wrap up our time in searching scripture this month, Pastor? You know, it's going through Philippians. It's just this overwhelming kind of rejoicing and thankfulness. And oftentimes Paul's going to catch us off guard by giving thanks for these things that we in never in a thousand years would think we would want to thank God for. But ultimately we find out that all of these things just being this these be wonderful gifts from Christ. We really are richly blessed, even when our eyes can't see it. Searching Scripture in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness. Our guest today, Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Pastor Oliphant, as always, thanks for joining us in here on The Coffee Hour and helping us study God's Word. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.